Who's seeing My Chemical Romance this year? None of you. That's who. Not a single person out there listening to this podcast or otherwise. And I'm making jokes about this out of spite over not even being able to get a ticket initially because those shits went out like supreme drops. Um, in, in the off chance that there's anyone listening to this who doesn't know what I'm talking about, My Chemical Romance's comeback tour was once again postponed. At first it was going to be in 2020, and then it got delayed to 2021 because of obvious COVID-related reasons. You know, the same reason why every other tour has been either cancelled or delayed. Uh, rest in peace to Motionless and White and Knocked Loose Tour. And then, last Friday, My Chemical Romance announced that the tour is being postponed yet again to 2022. So, like, by the time the US leg of this tour happens, people will have already had their tickets for almost three years. That's insane, dude. I remember when My Chemical Romance announced their reunion, it was Halloween in 2019, and I was sitting at a Starbucks back when you could do that. And one of my internet friends was like, hey, My Chemical Romance is back. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, go fuck yourself. Just because I assumed that he was joking. And then I opened Twitter and realized that it wasn't a joke. The fucking biggest band that the emo scene will ever have just came back out of nowhere. And because the world went to shit a few months later... It's as if they're still not back. But the silver lining in all this is that the tour is not cancelled, just postponed. People will get to see My Comic Romance. They will have new material out someday. We just gotta wait it out and hope that the band's momentum isn't derailed by all this. And I doubt that'll happen because it's fucking My Chemical Romance. Anyway, that's kinda all I wanted to talk about as like an opening monologue of sorts. A lot happened this past week in music, and I need to go over all of it. So I've got 25 singles, 8 albums, and 4 EPs today, so I need to get started, like, now. Aviva dropped a new single called Unbreakable, and I feel like no one in the scene really talks about Aviva. And yeah, the excuse to me that it's because she's not really seen, but when has that stopped us from gassing up certain artists before? I think Aviva's really cool, and I also think this new song is cool. I guess, like, electronic dark pop would be the best way to describe what this song sounds like. It feels a bit less layered than some of her other songs, but that's not a detriment. And there's nothing wrong with having a simple, straightforward song. If anything, maybe the hook becomes repetitive by the second chorus, because leaving this song, I couldn't recall any lyric other than I'm unbreakable, you can't stop me. But I still really enjoyed this song. Arrested Youth put out his brand new single, 98 Degrees. Very, very 21 Pilots inspired. And more specifically stressed out, but I think this track takes that concept and puts its own very well-rounded spin on it. I actually think I like this more than Arrested Youth's prior single, Leave My Casket Open, which I was a big fan of. The chorus sounds huge and impactful and perfectly counters the more relaxed verses. Super catchy, and I think this is the kind of song that just about anyone can sink their teeth into, regardless of what alternative genre they prefer. Follow the Leader is the new single from Bad Love, and it's also my first time listening to this band. For a first impression, I would say that I feel pretty favorable about this band. 
Follow the Leader is very much so a straightforward alternative metal song. The production on this, and to an extent the delivery of the clean vocals, reminds me of Outline and Color on their EP from last year. It's a really good blend of catchiness and heaviness, and I think this is another showcase for the Australian scene. Like, I'm still blown away by how much talent can be found in Australia. I, I should have been Australian. I don't know why I worded that as if I ever had a choice of being Australian, but whatever. Um, and, and this song is off of the EP Life Imitates Art, which is out on May 7th. Carol's daughter dropped Trailer Trash, which is expected to be on her upcoming EP that doesn't have a release date as of right now. She did an interview with Nylon.com where she said that Trailer Trash was written when she was in rehab, and this is a direct quote from that interview. The song is about accepting the unique and sometimes trashy parts of you. And that's certainly one way to look at that kind of scenario from the perspective of someone who's directly going through it. And I think in a weird way, this song sonically details those sentiments. The flow of it feels awkward at times, yet still cohesive. It's like indie meets pop rock, and I think Carol's Daughter did such a good job in crafting a song like that. But potentially one of the highlights for myself last week as far as the singles go. Uh, next we have 1991 by Kavei. Um, I, I don't want to call this song a miss. Because I do think it's effective to an extent, but it was the one single I'm talking about today that I couldn't fully immerse myself in. I think this song, at least sonically, speaks directly to a sector of this scene's fan base that I don't quite fall into. It's very slow-paced, and to its credit, I think it executes what it was going for to a great extent. But just when it comes to my personal taste, this was not a song that I felt like revisiting after the initial listen. Dwayne dropped his newest single called Walking to Work. I've seen this guy's name pop up very, very frequently as of late. First, it was with his song I Know Something that was out back in like January or February. Then he was on a song with Chase Atlantic. Then he had a song with Austin Knight from Waterparks. And it just feels like everything he's doing right now is on like a pedestal, and I can totally understand why, because he has those star-like characteristics that can take someone from just existing in alternative music to being one of its faces. Dwayne isn't there just yet, but he's on track, and I think Walking to Work further establishes that. This song is tremendous, it's very catchy, and has a really pulsating backing track that feels like it works alongside Dwayne's vocal delivery rather than underneath it. DNIE put out what looks to be his debut single called Hourglass, or at least that's what Spotify would indicate since this song is his only one on there right now. And if this is DNIE's first song, holy shit, how is someone this good on a first try? Hourglass features Arcane Sky, and I think together, this duo made an immaculate track that I couldn't stop listening to. Every Sunday, I do something on social media called Scenic Overlook, which is where I rank my 10 favorite songs from a given week. Hourglass was number 11 this past weekend. It just missed the top 10, and I really, really wanted to try getting it in there. This song finds 
the perfect balance between alternative rock and hip-hop, and it executes that sound in one of the most triumphant and celebratory fashions I've ever seen. Amazing fucking song, and again, I cannot believe this is DNIE's debut. Heart to Heart by Fiddlehead was such a pleasant surprise last week. When I started this song on my first listen of it, I initially thought it was going to be like indie rock, which isn't a problem, but then it went down an avenue that almost reminded me of Dance Gavin Dance, and more specifically in the Kurt Travis era of that band. It's a lot more streamlined and straightforward in terms of structure than anything Dance Gavin Dance do, but that was just the vibe I got from the instrumentation that, you know, it derails slightly from the norm at times. And Fall of Troy is another good comparison, and maybe that's more in line with what this song sounds like now that I think about it. But I already hammered in the Dance Game and Dance point pretty hard, so I'll just keep running with it. Um, very good song. Heart to Heart managed to stand out in a week that was just flooded with incredible songs, and I have nothing but good things to say about it. Headstrong is next. Uh, not the Trap song. It's very much so still fuck trapped. But I'm talking about the band Headstrong and their latest single, Wither. Hey, guess where this band is from? Australia. Fucking Australia, dude. Wither has a bit of an aggressive pop-punk tone going for it, and I think Headstrong pulled that off amazingly well. It scales back that aggression just slightly in the verses before letting loose on each chorus. This was part of a two-song EP called Why Would I Stay? But because the other song on it, called Detached, was released in 2020, I'm not talking about it on this show today, but I do still recommend it because it's another great showcase for Headstrong in the same way that Wither is. Alright, let's fucking go. If I Die First, maybe, just maybe, the band to emerge in the pandemic era thus far. They are everything I could have asked for as someone who spent his early teens on MySpace listening to bands like from first to last, and Under Oath, and Seosin. If I Die First put out My Nightmares Would Do Numbers as horror movies, which is off of the split EP with Sea Space Cowboy out on May 14th, god damn it, y'all. This song is unbelievably good. Legitimately one of the best songs I've heard all year thus far. Post-hardcore lives on. Emo lives on. Long live this shit, and somehow in 2021, If I Die First are doing this genre as well as any of the bands from nearly 20 years ago were doing it at the height of their careers. Of all of the singles that I'm talking about today, like not anything from an album or an EP, this was my favorite song of last week. I've listened to it so many fucking times, and each time I just ask myself, how? How the fuck did If I Die First craft something this perfect? A and what's nuts is that there's still one more song from If I Die First coming on this EP, and then two Sea Space Cowboy songs. And I know that those are going to deliver as well, because it's See You Space Fucking Cowboy. Why did Jutes release another song? I joked for like the past two episodes that Jutes puts out a new single every week, but now he really does do that, and we got the song Careful What You Wish For last week. 
I, I suppose that until further notice, we should just expect a new Jute song every week, and uh, that's perfectly fine, because I really, really like this song, just like I like all of his other songs. It, uh, it has a really vibrant and, like, slow burn start before more instrumentation starts coming to life, and by the time the song explodes into the second verse, Jutes has already sold me on this track just through his fluid vocal delivery that holds up every time he touches a microphone. Very, very quietly, I think Jutes is making a case for being an artist of the year contender, if not solo artist of the year at the very least. One OK Rock are back and have a brand new single called Renegades, which was apparently co-written by Ed Sheeran, so that's pretty neat. They've been on tour together before, so it's not a surprise that this was manageable to pull off. Renegades is the theme song for an upcoming movie called Rironi Kenshin Saishuso, the final. I, I hope I said that correctly. A really, really cool song. I have mostly a love-hate relationship with much of 1OK Rock's material, but I'm pretty favorable on Renegades. It has a massive chorus that is easy to visualize as not only being part of a movie, but also being played someday in the kind of giant venues that 1OK Rock can easily fill in Japan. This could be big for them moving forward when shows are back, and I'm quite happy about that. It's always good to hear something from 1OK Rock that I can fuck with, because when this band is good, they're really fucking good. Oscar Lang dropped Stuck, which is a single for his debut album, Chew the Scenery, out on July 16th. The artwork for this song gave me Scott Pilgrim vibes, so I thought that was really cool. Um, this song has a very specific and honed-in alternative rock feel to it that feels so inspired by the 90s and partly the 2000s, and I think it executes those ideas tremendously well. Like, somehow, this song sounds like it could be played in both someone's garage and a sold-out venue. It's really cool, and it definitely got me curious for what the rest of Chew the Scenery will ultimately sound like. Nights Like These is the new single by Prodigy featuring Lil Lotus. I actually hadn't heard of Prodigy before coming across this song in my Discover Weekly playlist, and I, I think the only reason it showed up on that playlist was because of the Lil Lotus feature. And that was more than enough to get me to listen to this song because Lil Lotus has reached that superstar status where anything his name is attached to, whether it be his own material or If I Die First, or in this case, a feature spot, I feel like I need to hear it. This song is fucking excellent. Really, really good. For having never heard Prodigy before, I was really impressed with his delivery on the verses, and then Little Lotus just controls the chorus the exact way I would expect him to. Both artists shine immensely on this track, and whenever I have downtime soon, I intend on going through Prodigy's discography because if he has more songs of the quality of Nights Like These, then this is absolutely someone I should be paying attention to. Royal Blood put out the song Boilermaker, which I can only assume is the final single off of their album Typhoons, which is out on April 30th. I, I, I like Royal Blood enough and have been able to really appreciate some of their discography, but they're kind of in the same league as a band like You Me at Six in which I don't think they nail albums as much as they do select few songs. 
And Boilermaker would fall into that category of songs that Royal Blood have managed to deliver flawlessly, in my opinion. This song is so catchy, and the rhythm pulsates in as bouncy and head-nodding of a manner as any track can. This is probably my favorite single off of Typhoons, and even if I ultimately feel ambivalent about this album in two weeks, at least I was able to get this song out of it. Salem released Draculads as the lead single for their EP, Salem 2, out on May 7th. Salem is a relatively new project by Will Gold, who is the frontman of Creeper. Um, truthfully, I don't like Creeper. I thought their record last year was incredibly boring and not something I ever returned to after the initial listen. And the same thing happened with Salem's EP back in October. But honestly, I like this song more than anything off of either of those releases. If I want to make a more timeline-encompassing statement, I would say that this is my favorite thing I've heard Will Gold sing on since Black Rain, which is already like four years old by this point. And I say all this, but I want to make it clear that I'm not in love with Draculads by any means. I like it enough to be favorable toward it in this review, and it's unabashedly punk rock, even when the pace is brought to a halt in the middle of the track. But, you know, nonetheless, I, I thought everything about this song worked, though I, I don't know how I would feel about an EP full of songs like this, but, you know, we'll see at the beginning of May what happens there. Shunguzo has a new single called White Parents. Along with being a very, very good song, it also speaks about a topic that can be really sensitive to a lot of people. The opening verse caps off with the lines, You want to use me until you're finished, but you would never take me home to your white parents. And then in the chorus, Shunguzo proceeds to repeat the line, white parents in a very unsettling tone and this is all while the song's instrumentation behind her voice is both loud yet quiet at the same time and then even the artwork for the single fits into this narrative since it shows shunguzo with white paint smeared on her face this is such an effective and necessary song and uh just to point this out because i don't believe i did this is off of the album I Am Not a Mother But I Have Children, which will be released on June 18th. Silverstein have new music out for the first time in over a year with the single Bankrupt. Uh, this is the follow-up to the band's album A Beautiful Place to Drown, which dropped last March right before everything went to shit. They've had to push back their tour for that album so many times now, and I don't see Bankrupt as a signal that they've given up on the cycle for A Beautiful Place to Drown. It could just be a standalone song, or maybe it's on the next album. There, There is a plethora of scenarios that this song can fit into, but for now, I just want to appreciate Bankrupt because this track is so fucking good. Silverstein feel like they've been around for essentially forever now, but even if they're up there in age compared to some of their contemporaries, a song like Bankrupt proves that they still have every right to be deemed one of the scene's elite acts. Incredible song, incredible band. Sweco has a new single out called SOS featuring Travis Barker, and I feel like Travis Barker works for everyone but his own band. And all the power to him because he's kept himself busy even after Blink-182's last album. Like, I remember the same day that album dropped, he also had a song with Lights, and I was asking myself if this motherfucker ever sleeps.
I don't know, but anyway, about this actual song here, SOS is fucking sick. In just the opening sequence, it sounded to me like Sweco's voice went through this very bizarre transformation. Like, the song started with him showcasing an almost theater-esque voice, and then it went into something out of trap and emo hip-hop, and then finally in the chorus, he sounds massive and very much so, like... Not to make another Blink-182 reference, but I really thought he almost sounded like Mark Hoppus in his delivery and the way he holds out certain notes. Sweco and Travis Barker made for such a good pairing, and I thought SOS was everything it needed to be. Still Wondering Why You Left Me Behind is the new single from This Wildlife. Um, everyone should already know what they're getting with This Wildlife by this point. For myself, the acoustic act was really cool at the start of their transition to that style, and then I definitely grew tired of it over time. But there have been some moments here and there where I feel like I'm sold once again on This Wildlife. And this new track provided one of those instances. It's got a great melody. Vocally, Kevin Jordan sounds as good as he ever has. And I would imagine that's partly because of the subject matter that deals with his upbringing without a father. And you can just hear and feel the raw emotion in the chorus with lines like, How could you not love what is yours? How could you leave two perfect boys? How could you not be enough but still make me want your love? This is a gut punch in the most beautiful way imaginable through music and I was well beyond captivated by this single. Tiny Little Houses dropped their latest single called Car Crash. In a week that had just relatable song after relatable song, I do want to put a spotlight on Car Crash and the line that carries the verses into the choruses, and I wonder how I got so far, I might just crash into a car. This almost, like, careless and stubborn delivery of the vocals carries this song's instrumentation masterfully. Like, it has such a lazy feel to it, but it still manages to bring the listener along for the ride every single second, and you're never bored with this track. It mirrors the artwork that genuinely hurt my eyes the longer I stare at it for. This song is as indie as it is emo, and I'm very much so a fan of it. In their second single of the year, Trash Boat released Silence is Golden. This comes two months after He's So Good came out as a single, which is a song that I'm still very high on. Silence is Golden immediately takes the opposite approach from He's So Good by just blasting the listener with a wall of music that is so, so reminiscent of Don Broco. And maybe that's why I felt an attachment to this song, because of how much I like Don Broco. But I don't want that to take away from what Trash Boat managed to accomplish with this track. It's so fucking cool and massive and as powerful in its delivery as He's So Good was, even if, again, it is stylistically different from that song in so many ways. A major dub for this band, and if there's going to be an album or EP from them later on in 2021, that can be a real difference maker in year-end stuff, just based on how incredible their two singles have been. Another band that dropped their second single of the year so far was Vukovi. They put out the song Kill It, which I don't believe is attached to anything just yet. Their last single, Slow, was their return to Lab Records, who they were under for their debut album almost four years ago already, or maybe it has been four years. Um, yeah, anyway, Vukovi need more eyes on them. Like, seriously, 
They're so fucking good and utilize the alternative electronic rock sound just as well as anyone else in the scene at the moment. They're outpacing their own growth and that's both a testament to their abilities but also maybe a detriment because all of this is happening while still being relatively unknown. Or I guess detriment wasn't the right word, but it was the one that came to mind first. I don't know, man. I I just love this song. I love this band. Vukovi deserve all the recognition in the world for their contributions. Watch for Wolves continue their streak of singles with Don't Blame Me, Mercury's in Retrograde. I had a ton of praise for this band's first single back in February called Guilty by Dissociation. They had another song after that. The... The name of it is slipping my mind because... Uh, this band is doing that thing from the 2000s where you just give your songs really long titles. But anyway, Don't Blame Me, Mercury's in Retrograde is another stellar song from this band. And to kind of go off of what I said earlier about If I Die First, this is another song that the teenage version of myself on MySpace would have been so appreciative of. It's the exact type of post-hardcore that I will always hold near my heart. And I still cannot get enough of Watch for Wolves and their take on that genre. The last single for the day is Stop the Bleeding by Wolves at the Gate. For a band that's been around for as long as Wolves at the Gate, they still feel like they exist in the underground. I love this band so much, and I have since their debut EP a whole fucking decade ago. Stop the Bleeding continues the more straightforward radio rock area that Wolves at the Gate experimented with on their last album, Eclipse. Um, I'm not citing that as a complaint, though. Uh, I just... It's just an observation, and I think they do alternative rock incredibly well. It To me, it feels like a more natural evolution than other metalcore bands who try to force that direction for themselves. Stop the Bleeding is catchy while still containing a commendable level of heaviness, and I'm really excited to hear more from Wolves at the Gate this year. Okay, so the singles are done. Now we have 8 albums and 4 EPs to get through, and I'll start with the EPs. Church Tongue dropped their newest EP called The Hubris of Gods Departed. This band actually found my Twitter account and liked the post where I reviewed this EP. So good on them for seeking out this incredibly small corner of the scene that may or may not ever even make a difference. This was my first time hearing this band, but they do have an album and EP from 2016 and 2018 respectively. I only discovered them because of Brian Garris from Knocked Loose. He either tweeted about this EP or retweeted the Spotify link. But either way, this was a fantastic recommendation on Brian's part, because for a three-song EP that is grounded in hardcore, I fucking love this. The second you press play on the opening song, Nothing Lost, this band wastes no time introducing themselves to you, and that song maintains its heaviness with constant tempo changes that keep you wondering what's going to happen next. Then it goes into Your Deepest Grave, which is like a minute and a half of just fucking brutality that doesn't give you a second to catch your breath. It's not until the last song, No Prisoner of Blood, that there's a section on this EP that slows things down and allows Church Tongue's more melodic side to show through. But even then, the song ends with one of the EP's heaviest moments, and that says something because this is a project made up of heavy moments.
This EP is only 8 minutes long, so it's such a fucking breeze to get through, and it left me wanting more from this band. Church Tongue is for sure an act that anyone who likes hardcore music should be paying attention to, because they are fucking excellent at this shit. All Hours put out their second EP, Perspectives, which follows up the EP called Sightseeing that came out back on Christmas in 2017. Uh... So it's been a minute since this band had a large format release tied to their names, but in that time away they've really crafted a very solid and capable sound for themselves. Black Rose was technically the first song out for this EP, though I don't know if this band really knew what that song would be attached to when it dropped in 2019. I enjoy the hell out of that song. It's catchy and dives into a more aggressive side of pop punk at the appropriate moments. Downward, which was the second single and the opening song for the EP, it's really the only track here that I couldn't bring myself to say that I love. It just doesn't have the same punch that the rest of the songs do. The title track, Perspectives, is a safe play of a song and doesn't do anything too flashy. And Green Eyes is another great song, though admittedly I was a bit puzzled by the instrumentation choices there because the chorus has double bass pedals that don't feel like they're necessary, but still, a good song. And then the EP closes with Before I Go, which I reviewed last week and had so many good things to say about it. I do feel like it's the best song on this EP, and overall, one of the best songs I've heard from any band so far in 2021. So while I do think Perspectives is the weakest EP I'm reviewing this week, I still got a lot of enjoyment out of it, and... Before I Go is going to get so many fucking streams from me this year. Soft Cult is a new band, but I want to emphasize that the members here, Phoenix and Mercedes Arnhorn, have been playing music together in a band called Courage My Love for over a decade. So, the new Soft Cult EP called Year of the Rat is a debut, but also an extension of a project that has so much experience in crafting some excellent songs. I think that consistency shown in Courage My Love is carried into Soft Cult. This band got some attention back in February when they put out a song called Uzumaki that was supposed to be on this EP, but because it sounded a lot like Two Way Mirror by Loathe, that escalated into this giant fucking disaster, and the whole song was unfortunately scrapped. But even without Uzumaki's presence on this EP, Soft Cult delivered in a major way. This EP is laced with some really atmospheric moments that I wouldn't think anyone would normally get out of this fusion of pop and grunge. The opening song, Another Bish, really sets the tone for what's going to happen on the rest of the EP. Gloomy Girl does slow things down just in terms of the pace, but not the quality. Take It Off and Young Forever then act as a one-two punch of more accessible tracks, and I want to highlight Young Forever as the fucking gem of this EP. God, that song is unbelievable. Easily my favorite song on Year of the Rat, and I've listened to it so many times since last Friday. The closing track, Birdsong, is mostly acoustic and holds a level of emotion that feels like it's only slightly tapped into on the rest of the songs. And that energy was saved for Birdsong, and I think it paid off tremendously. Soft Cult might have taken what they learned in Courage My Love, but it doesn't piggyback off of that project's success in any way. 
Phoenix and Mercedes brought a whole new vision to life on Year of the Rat, and I think it is perfect and worth everyone's time. Lastly for the EPs, we got Bellhaven and their newest release, Time Changes Nothing. The last time there was a large format release from Bellhaven was in 2017, and their album You, Me, and Everything in Between. Which I did like, but I'd be lying if I said I've thought about it a lot in the four years that have passed since then. I didn't think it was a breakthrough album, but Time Changes Nothing is undeniably a breakthrough EP. I'm not even really sure what you would call this sound, because to me, it's a marriage between post-hardcore and hard rock. But I think no matter what you want to call it, you'd have a difficult time finding a band who is doing it better than Bellhaven at the moment. And I figured that just from the two singles leading into the EP, Nobody Likes a Hospital and Take Your Pill. Those songs feel massive while still carrying a sense of grittiness and imperfection to their production. The choruses are so fucking singable and just, like, make no apologies for getting stuck in your head. That same notion carries into the non-single songs on this EP, like Mistakes, which is the second track. And I would argue that everything I'm saying about big choruses doesn't apply to any song more than the closing track, Stranger Memories. There's just something about that particular song that stuck with me days after this EP's release, and I still stand by it being my favorite song in this collection. But even then, I'm of the belief that the standout song here is Hopeless, Empty, Lonely, Painful. Th this is the opening line to that song. I've had a noose in the back of my car for about three years. This song leaves the vocalist David De La Oz beyond vulnerable, and this kind of openness and honesty with listeners goes such a long way in terms of leaving a lasting impression. This song cuts deep, dude. It's so fucking sad and hard to get through. And once the first chorus is over, the song slows itself down and David sings lines like, Don't love me, I'll just push you away. I'll miss you tomorrow, but I'll hate you today. There's a self-destructive, suicidal narcissist in me. And just the way that he sings those lines, he sounds so tired and broken and defeated, and that resonates with me so fucking much. That song then builds up to its final minute where David just flat out yells, I wanna die. I think the only reason I picked Stranger Memories as my favorite song off of the EP over this was because this song is especially hard to listen to, and it's not a track that you can just listen to at a random point. It, it, it is one of the most impactful songs of the year, and overall, Time Changes Nothing is one of the most impactful EPs of the year. Okay, so singles are done, EPs are done, my fucking voice is done, we have eight albums to talk about, and I'm gonna start with my least favorite, and then work my way up to my most favorite. Escape the Fate released their newest album, Chemical Warfare. I don't fucking know what number album this is for them, and maybe it's their sixth or seventh or eighth, and I'm not gonna look it up because I just don't care. All I know is that for me, their first two albums exist, and then that's it. This band went on a monumentally abysmal trajectory after 2008, and it just feels like they never looked back. 
One for the Money, which is a song from 2013, is kind of okay. But outside of that, I just couldn't even pretend to be remotely interested in anything Escape the Fate have done in the last 13 years. So I went into Chemical Warfare with low expectations, even though I admittedly thought one of the singles, Not My Problem, was rather good. This album opens with Lightning Strike, which I was surprisingly in favor of. I thought it was catchy and didn't do anything mind-numbingly boring, so I was like, alright, maybe, maybe Escape the Fate have something here. And then I heard the rest of the album and realized that they don't have shit. Out of 12 songs, I can count on one hand the amount I liked. Lightning Strike, Not My Problem, Burn the Bridges, and Ashes Broken World. Everything else was just so uninspired and bland and generic, just like everything else this band has been doing for a decade now. And then they closed this album on easily its two worst songs in My Gravity and Walk On. The score I gave this album on social media was a 4.5 out of 10, which is maybe too generous, but I was just happy that I could look at four songs and think that they were not even really good, but just bearable. That's more than what I thought was going to happen, but ultimately this album doesn't do anything making believe that I've been wrong about Escape the Fate. If you like this band and album, then all the power to you, that's fine. But personally, I thought this was just deflating. I got to listen to The Disaster Area for the first time through their new album, Glass Hearts. This is their third album, although like I just said, it was my first experience with them. The album opens with its title track, which I could understand what was being attempted here. And I think for some listeners, it works, but I just couldn't fully attach myself to it. But thankfully, after that, I was able to appreciate the material moving forward for the most part. This album finds its sound in metalcore that leans more into the alternative rock side. So, think of Bad Omens or Caskets, maybe. And even when this album sees some of its filler moments, I still didn't think they were that bad. This album is really solid all the way through. Although I think one of its weaknesses is the fact that the title track I just mentioned is technically on this record three times. It serves as the opening song and then the final two songs. There's an acoustic rendition, which I actually did like, and then a 2021 version that features Nico Salich from Eskimo Callboy. Uh, what I do want to highlight in this review is the song Happy Pills. That is by far my favorite song on this album, while also being the biggest departure from the metalcore sound this album is predicated on. Happy Pills is pop rock at its finest, and is such a fucking bop and so easy to get into. If anything, I feel that it overshadows the rest of the album since I've gone back to that song a lot over the last week, while admittedly neglecting the other songs on the album that I liked. Overall, I thought Glass Hearts accomplished much of what it set out to, and even if I wasn't on board with all of the material, I still view it as a success for the disaster area. Caroline Kingsbury dropped her debut album called Heaven's Just a Flight. Honestly, I don't remember how I came across this album because 
it has very little to do with the alternative scene. This is synth pop all the way through and sort of sounds like it could have been put out a few decades ago. But in saying that, I want to establish that it doesn't feel out of place in this day and age. There's absolutely a spot in modern music for this sound, and I think Caroline provided that with this album. The opening interlude, Power, I thought was one of the weaker moments on the album, but it was immediately rectified with a strong stretch of songs like Fall in Love, Breaking Apart, and Massive Escape. Just through those three songs, I was sold on this record. Its misses are few and far between, but a song like Ending of Love did take me out of the listening experience for a moment. I'm not going to call that song bad because I don't think it is, but it just wasn't what I was looking for from this. The album goes into some serious topics for Caroline, such as her sexuality and the death of her brother. And I think her delivery on these tracks really emphasizes just how cathartic speaking about them on this album must have been for her. This will sound incredibly hypocritical because of a specific album I haven't talked about yet on this episode, but another gripe I have deals with the album's runtime. 16 songs and 53 minutes, which is fine, but it, it was in the back of my mind as I got into the later songs. And I hate listening to an album and start wondering when is it going to end. I would say that for the most part, I really enjoyed Heaven's Just a Flight. It provided me with something that I wasn't going to get from any of the other albums I'm talking about today. And I can't help but just be really, really appreciative of that. Let's talk about the new album by Two Feet called Max Mako is Dead, right? I had heard two songs from this album prior to its release, those being Fire and Never Enough. Fire grew on me over the time after I felt indifferent toward it initially, whereas Never Enough hit me immediately the first time I heard it. So I didn't really know what I was going to get once I pressed play on the full album, and what I ended up with was one of the best albums of 2021 as of now. Two Feet embraces alternative pop rock in a way that allows this record to stand out in a genre where you can definitely say that you've heard albums that sound like this before. But the performance of Two Feet is so fucking convincing that he makes you believe for 38 minutes that he's the only person in the genre who gives a shit. These songs are catchy and vibrant while still being dark at the same time. The blue and black color scheme on the album artwork is a perfect visual summarization of what this album provides sonically. A and for a while when listening to this, it crossed my mind that this could maybe be a perfect album. And then the album reaches tracks 10 and 11, I Can't See It All and Times Fade Away. And my interest did dwindle just slightly with those two songs. They're not bad, but I cannot look at them in the same light that I do with the other songs on here. Two Feet sounds fantastic, as does the production on this entire record. And even with some minor complaints, I thought Max Mako is Dead Right was a fucking joy to listen to. And I feel like it's going to age very well moving forward. Arguably, one of the most anticipated albums of the year was delivered in the form of Sleep Society by Washi Sleeps. 
Pretty recently, this band surpassed 1 million listeners on Spotify, and it's hard for me to think of any other band who deserves that recognition as much as While She Sleeps. I remember when this album was announced back in October, the lead single, Sleep Society, was unfortunately overshadowed because it came out right as albums and EPs were being announced by some other big UK bands like Architects, Holding Absence, and Bring Me the Horizon. But that song, Sleep Society, is fucking incredible and still holds up as part of the full album. The placement of it is weird since it sounds like an opener, yet it's track 9. Though I do think the actual opener called Enlightenment fills that position nicely. These songs sound huge and are exactly what I wanted from While She Sleeps because while I've liked them for a long time now, I haven't felt as strongly for any of their albums the way I do Sleep Society. Track 7, which is No Defeat for the Brave featuring Derek Wibley from Sum 41, is my favorite song from this album and came so fucking close to just being my favorite song in general from last week. It is massive and powerful and accessible while still being heavy in its own right. Track 8, Division Street, was the only instance on the album where I felt like the material sort of lost its footing just slightly, but it picked right back up once Sleep Society came in as the ninth song. Call of the Void feels like the first half of the closing song to the record, and I think in that sense, it works so fucking well and would have been a good enough note to leave the album on. The true final song, called The End, is a seven-minute monologue by the band members speaking about what this album means to them, and their words are distorted by static while being layered over a somber piano. This is one of the coolest concepts I've ever heard for a closing track, and I thought it was the stamp on the near masterpiece that is Sleep Society. While She Sleeps outdid themselves on this record, and it's genuinely my favorite listening experience I've ever had with this band. Alright, there are three albums left to talk about, and I rated all three of them 10 out of 10 on my Instagram and Twitter accounts last week. Epilogue by To The Grave is potentially the most shocking perfect album I have ever heard in my life. What I mean by that is that if you had asked me last week if I'd give Epilogue a perfect score, I I I'd have told you there's no fucking way i do that. This album utilizes so many things I usually cannot stand with albums. This album is 19 songs long, it's 63 minutes, the first 11 songs are legitimately from this band's last album two years ago. This album has a cover on it. A cover on a fucking studio album. Epilogue breaks so many goddamn rules, and for that, I should have instantly docked off like three possible number scores. Yet, I listened to this album from start to finish, and I just... I couldn't find anything wrong with it. Epilogue takes Deathcore and maximizes its potential in a way I haven't seen any band do since Chelsea Grin on Eternal Nightmare. 
Even something like Immortal by Lorna Shore, which I loved, didn't have the same consistency that I thought was present on this album. To the Grave made what is, with all due respect, a shitpost of an album by just throwing everything they possibly could onto it, and they fucking nailed it somehow. And when I say somehow, I don't mean that with regard to this band's talent, because they are some of the most sound musicians in the entire scene right now. I'm just referring to everything I said earlier about why this album shouldn't work. The songs on this album that aren't new feel as powerful as they did two years ago. And this was a good refresher for me, because I didn't go back to Global Warning that many times over the last two years. So it was cool to have that reminder for how fucking hard songs like Pest Control, Slaughter Forever, and Wastage go. And then factor in the newer songs, and, and what you get here is a showcase of where To The Grave have been, where they are now, and maybe where they're going, because Epilogue cements them as one of the upper echelon bands in Deathcore. And then to top everything off, this record's closing song is The Ghost of You, which is a cover of a My Chemical Romance song. Why the fuck is there a My Chemical Romance cover on a Deathcore album that is 19 songs long, 11 of which are from an album from two years ago? You know what I was doing two years ago? My school paid for me to go to Minneapolis for a fucking journalism workshop, and all I did was eat Burger King while being sad as fuck. That feels like an eternity ago, yet I'm somehow getting songs from that far back into, into the rotation for this week's reviews, and again, I emphasize this again, Epilogue is a perfect album, and to figure that out, I just really had to ask myself a few questions. Could I find anything wrong with this album? No. Did I dislike any of the songs on here? No, not even a little bit. They're all phenomenal. Was I bored at all during the 63 minutes that this album spans? No, I wasn't. So if that's the case, why wouldn't I give this a 10? I have no reason to not treat this as a perfect album when I truly believe that's what it is. And you know what's another perfect album that crept up on me last week? New Age Filth by Hail the Sun. Just like To The Grave, if you had asked me a week ago if Hail the Sun would have had a perfect album, I would have said no. No way they do. And that's because while I liked the singles leading up to this album's release, Domino, Parasitic Cleanse, and Made Your Mark, I wasn't totally enamored with them. I didn't fully love them. It wasn't until I heard them as part of the full album that I felt like I finally understood them. They blend in with the rest of the material on New Age Filth so fucking well, and the cohesion that each song displays with one another is unbelievable. There are some albums that suffer from feeling like just a bunch of singles thrown together into a compilation. What Hell the Sun did on New Age Filth was make a 34-minute long album that feels like one 34-minute song separated into 10 sections rather than there just being 10 songs on here. And each song throws in curveballs in their structures to the point where you cannot go into a new song already assuming you know what it's going to sound like. And that was immediately noticed by me because the second song, Slander, I, I was 
telling myself that this record was something special and I was going to have to pay extra attention to it in its runtime. The final minute of track number three, Solipsism, reminds me in a way of the final minute to We Own the Night by Dance Gavin Dance, but just a bit more chaotic and downward in mood. And that brings me to the belief that this style of post-hardcore that you can link to bands like Dance Gavin Dance and Circa Survive has hardly ever sounded better than it does on this album. And give me a second real quick to rave about my favorite song on the album. Track 6, which is called Slipped My Mind, feels like the pinnacle of everything that this album works toward. It's the best cumulative example I can pick out from this album about what Hail the Sun provides. It's catchy and melodic and contains the right amount of calamity in its instrumentation that imprints itself in the listener's brain. And by the time the closing track, Punch Drunk, finished, I had to ask myself the same questions for this album that I did on To The Graves album. Did I like every song on here? Yes. Was anything wrong with it? No. Was I bored? No. So if all of those boxes are checked off, then I need to accept that this is a perfect album. I didn't think it was going to be, but I truly believe that it is, and even in the moments since Friday when I've listened to this album over and over again, with each listen, I only convince myself more that this is a masterful record that earned its perfect rating. And that brings us to the final album I'm talking about today, which does mean that this was my favorite album from last week. The Greatest Mistake of My Life by Holding Absence. So here's the thing about Holding Absence, or at least my relationship with this band. Two years ago, they released their debut album, and I thought it was fine. A quality listen that had more songs that failed to stick with me than those that did. Around this time a year ago, they had two singles called Gravity and Birdcage. In my opinion, those are two of the best songs released in all of 2020. And guess what? They're not even on this album. I initially thought that was kind of a baffling decision at the time because I felt that if you have two absolute weapons in the form of those two songs, why wouldn't you put them on what will be the biggest release of your careers up to this point? But all the power to holding absence. That was their call, and it was probably the right one in the end. Around October, the band released Beyond Belief as the lead single to The Greatest Mistake of My Life, and that ended up being a top 10 song of 2020 for myself. I thought it was the perfect introduction to a new era of this band. Afterlife came out in January, and even if I liked Beyond Belief more, Afterlife did exactly what it was intended to. It's gotten some airtime on radio in the US, and it beat out Beyond Belief for streams on Spotify, despite being younger by two and a half months. Where things started to get cloudy with my anticipation for this record was when In Circles came out as the third single. I, I felt like there was something with that song that I wasn't getting, but everyone else was. I saw so many sectors of the internet refer to In Circles as the best work from Holding Absence yet, whereas I thought it was just an okay song. And then the same thing happened when No More Roses got an unofficial release as a single a few weeks ago. 
I thought that it was good, but not anywhere near the level of Afterlife, and especially not anywhere near the level of Beyond Belief. So when this album dropped last Friday, I was, I, I was a little bit skeptical. I didn't know what was going to happen outside of knowing that I'd see people on emo Twitter say that this is a perfect album and album of the year and, and, and all that shit. I just, I just didn't know how I was going to feel. But I think all of those concerns were washed away as soon as the opening song Awake bled into Celebration Song and you hear Lucas Woodland just belt out the lyric, I'm alive. The massive sounding instrumentation that accompanies him on that song proved to be a mainstay on this record. I can sit here and praise Lucas' vocal work on The Greatest Mistake of My Life all I want, and it would be warranted, but this album doesn't happen without every single member of Holding Absence. Each one carries their own weight and establish themselves as juggernauts in this music scene on their respective instruments. The second song, Curse Me With Your Kiss, left its mark on this record by being another major arena-sounding rock song, and it also contains a line in its chorus that I think summarizes the narrative of this record perfectly. I dream of you in colors that don't exist. Drugs and Love comes in as the fifth track, and I've been having a real internal discussion with myself for almost a week now about whether this is the best Holding Absence song I've ever heard or not. It was my number one ranked song last week, and every time I hear it, I find myself dumbfounded all over again by the fact that ordinary human beings wrote something of this magnitude. Those two singles that I low-key trashed earlier, In Circles and No More Roses, work perfectly on this album. I needed to hear them as part of the complete package to finally understand what they achieve. Neither are near the top of the list for my favorite songs on this album, but it's fair to say that the album would be lacking without them. Die Alone in Your Lover's Arms provides one of the most singable moments on the entire album in its chorus while also acting as a dagger to the heart that you can't pull yourself away from. And the sudden, unexpected, and uncredited feature from Lucas' sister on this song took it into a, a, another dimension and made Die Alone in Your Lover's Arms a transcendent song. I generally stay away from long songs, but a morning song was able to keep my attention throughout its entire runtime, and the absolute explosion that the song entertains in the final two and a half minutes kind of force you to reflect on everything you've heard up to that point and how even in times of heartbreak, there is still a story in full color for you to tell from the black and white memories that you want to let go of. And all of this that I've talked about is tied together by the closing track that sounds like it's from some fucking old-ass movie and the manner in which Lucas delivers the closing line, which is the name of the album, The Greatest Mistake of My Life, is the final nail in the coffin that is the kind of album that the majority of bands will never be able to write no matter how hard they try. And let me emphasize that this is Holding Absence's second album. On their second try, they fucking did that. And coming out of this album, I had to accept that I lost. 
Just because I didn't fuck with two of the singles that much, I thought that maybe I was going to be let down by holding absence. And in the end, I just had to realize that I really did get a perfect album. I've gone back to each song found on here so many times over the last week, and I still cannot find anything wrong with them. This is a work of art in every sense of that phrase, and I just have to let that be. Holding Absence did what I said they couldn't do. They made one of the greatest albums of all time. And if that's the case, then I need to shut the fuck up and give them their fucking flowers. I had to do that with To The Grave and Hail The Sun as well. If something is flawless and I have no reason to not say that it is on this show, then it's my responsibility to be honest with not only myself, but the small audience that I have right now that I'm hoping to grow by admitting where I was wrong and how any band at any moment has it in them to deliver something that I will never forget listening to. Maybe not Escape the Fate, but every other band. The greatest mistake of my life by holding absence is perfect. I'll say it one more time and leave it at that. The greatest mistake of my life by holding absence is perfect. And that's it. Every song, album, and EP from last week that I had to review. God, I cannot keep doing this in my voice every week. I mean, I'm going to, but I really shouldn't. But I'm going to. Um, This is easily the most important episode I've recorded yet because it really did help me in examining what it is I even like about music and how crucial it is to give bands their flowers if they deserve them. Holding Absence, To The Grave, Hell The Sun, Bellhaven, and Softcult. Those five bands showed me why it is that I'm even bothering with this hobby on a weekly basis, and I hope I don't forget that. So, it's getting late here. I'm really fucking tired. My voice hurts now. Um... So yeah, thank you for listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.